Hey everyone, it's Nikki Bostwick, and before we get started today, I wanted to tell you about my other favorite morning ritual, which are daily harvest smoothies. I'm kind of obsessed with these things. One, because they're packed full of superfoods, and two, because they're ready-to-blend packs are delivered to your door on ice. So you basically don't have to do anything other than fill it up with your favorite milk or water and hit the liquify button on your blender. You can check out their full list of smoothies and their new activated bowl at daily-harvest.com. Seriously, cooking is no longer required. Thank God. Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode seven of Morning Matcha. I'm here today with Jordan Bach, a modern day spiritual teacher and life coach. Hi, Jordan. Hi. Cheers. How are you? I'm really good with this matcha. Thank you. I mean, yeah, it's really good. From Two Hands. Have you been to Two Hands? No. It's right up the street from I feel like there are so many matcha places now. But this isn't just a matcha place. It's like a really cool Aussie cafe. And there are also so many Aussie cafes now in the city. It's like the thing. It's the trend. Yeah. But they need it in New York. I'm game. If you go in there, you feel like you're in another place. I love it. And I love the Aussie accent. Yeah, I know. They're all really cute. I know. <laughs> Have you ever been with an Aussie? No, I haven't. <laughs> you could pass. Are we one. talking about are we talking about boyfriends and relationships already? In a little bit. Yeah. Uh, oh. So you're on uh. the show today or the podcast. Yeah. So we can talk about Course in Miracles and tell people what that even is. Cause to someone who's never even heard about it, they're like, What? Okay. Learning about miracles. Right. The course. Yeah. Well, and I then feel- breakups and stuff. Oh, so we'll just cover the whole, we'll run the gamut. Mm-hmm. Well, Course in Miracles. I bet a lot of people l- listening have maybe heard of it, maybe in passing, um, or maybe some people haven't heard about it at all. I was introduced to it by a teacher, Marianne Williamson, who teaches the course. And she wrote, she's written many books based on the principles of A Course in Miracles. And it's a, te- it's a metaphysical text that was channeled by a woman named Helen Shuckman um, in the 70s. And she was a psychiatrist, uh, I think at Columbia University, and she and her uh, research partner were fighting. And one day she heard a voice in her mind that said, this is a course in miracles, write this down. And so she started to take longhand notes and it took her a long time to write all of these longhand notes because the course is like this big it's like it's like three inches thick yeah it's huge um and she wrote it down and then like in the middle of them fighting in the middle of them fighting because what she said to herself was and this is kind of a crucial part about the course um she said to her research partner um there must be a better way and when she said there must be a better way at that point, she heard the voice, which said, this is A Course in Miracles, write this down. And so really, what, whenever we're in our lives, and this is what the Course teaches, whenever we find ourselves in a position where we feel like it's too much, whether that's a breakup, whether it's um, you know recovery from something, trauma, addiction, um, there, there, there comes a point where you go, hopefully, there comes a point where you go, I'm in so much pain and suffering. There must be a better way. Mm -hmm. And that little bit of 
openness to something perhaps unseen, to a solution you may not have thought of, um, creates a, a, a psychological opening into which the universe can pour itself. And so that is um, a huge part of the theoretical framework of A Course in Miracles, is that your little willingness to open up your mind to something new, to the possibility of a solution, is everything. The Course says your small willingness is everything. I had no idea about any of that. And I've heard about A Course in Miracles so many times, but the background was never... Yeah, so a lot of people, and and rightfully, you know, a lot of teachers don't talk about the back, haven't in the past spoken about the background of it and how it's a channeled text because that puts a lot of people off. But I think we're in an age now where if people are watching this or listening to this, um, then certainly, you know, I can speak for my audience. We're, we're totally new age. Yeah. We're, if we don't understand how channeling, for example, works, we're at least open to the idea of saying, wait, what is that? How does it work? You hear a voice. Um, and so why not just tell the truth about where it came from? Yeah. Well, okay. So I guess when comparing that to a religious, like the Bible, how do you have people that you coach that um, use both as a resource? And do you, what's, what's the difference? Would you say? A Course in Miracles I, I, it uses Christian terminology. Okay. Um, it, it's a, it, the, the Course says that it uses Christian terminology in a decidedly un-Christian way. Mm -hmm. um, so it, it has reinterpreted the language of Christianity using words like atonement and, um, and, and Christ uh, to mean, um, in some cases, slightly different things and in many cases very different things from what we're taught um, in church um, or from our Christian leaders. Um, and again, open-mindedness is really everything. So when you, I was, um, I consider myself blessed to have been raised by atheists with zero spiritual language or symbolism in my life, not in the home um, and, and really not at school and not in uh, not at all. And so when I opened up A Course in Miracles, uh, I was open to receiving, receiving. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and it's actually more difficult for a lot of people who have previous religious experience because what they have to do before they learn something new is unlearn mm -hmm. their fearful thoughts um, about about God, about themselves. And that's really what the course is about. And the course has 365 lessons for each day of the year. And the first six months of that are about unlearning fear. And the last six months are about accepting love wow. back into your heart. So an unlearning is really necessary uh, before you can accept something new. How much work is it a day? Like how much reading, how much, work? I mean, it's really thick. So I'm just the, curious. The, if the, the thick, the big thick part of the course, the first part of it is the text. Mm -hmm. And that gives you the, the, the theoretical framework for um, life, really, um, for our perception and how our minds work. And that's the text. And you can read that leisurely at your own pace. Um, 
the lessons, it's recommended you do no more than one lesson per day. Mm -hmm. So it would take you um, uh, at the very least a year to go through. But the lesson is you read it and then sometimes it will say, um, remind yourself of this a few times a day. Mm. Just the mantra, the, mm -hmm. the, uh, the lesson itself, which is like a, usually a sentence or so. Mm -hmm. And you just read it in the morning and remind yourself of it throughout the day. I think the importance of having some sort of practice like that, yeah, the Course says, uh, if you spend five minutes with Spirit in the beginning of the day, um, that ensures that Spirit will be in charge of your thought forms for the rest of the day, Aww. which I think is so cool. Yeah. That if you sort of invest your time in connecting with your higher power um, or your inner voice, um, it's, you have a much greater likelihood of acting from a place of love throughout the day rather than fear. Do you have people that you coach that want your help but don't want to subscribe to any sort of spiritual? I mean, you're a spiritual teacher, so I don't know why someone would go to you and say, I don't want well, any it's of that. Funny, but... It's funny. That's just the thing, you know, and I've learned like when I first started out eight years ago, um, talking about spiritual principles, my first instinct coming from the family I do of atheists was to convert people almost mm -hmm. <laughs> or to prove, and I'm sure maybe a lot of people know what that, this feeling is. You learn something, um, vegans, a, <laughs> a lot of people, right? Yeah, yeah. And you get so passionate about it that you want to go around and make people believe what you believe. Mm -hmm. And my friend Gabrielle Bernstein said something to me that really changed uh, my life and my relationships and also the work, my work and, and that I do. And she said, Jordan, stop trying to convert people and preach to your choir. Mm -hmm. Talk to the people who already are open to what you're saying rather than trying to, you know, bang on, on the door of someone with a closed mind. And so that's what I started to do. And when I made that inner shift, the outer shift came and I really don't attract people um, into my private practice or, you know, on my social media anymore who aren't open to these ideas. Mm, they may say, hmm, this is ch challenging a little or this is rubbing mm -hmm. up against another practice that I have or another belief I have. But they're not like, what are you talking about? You're coming out of left field. This doesn't make any sense. I don't believe that because it, that is, would be a waste of my time. And anyone who's listening, who, who has passionate beliefs, it is really a waste of your time. Um, I would say for, for most people, this isn't universal advice, but for most people, it's a big waste of your time to be trying to constantly convert people. What you can do, says the course, is share an idea because when you share an idea, it grows stronger. Mm. So by sharing an idea, talking today with you, you're open to what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. And so in that way, the idea can grow stronger. Mm -hmm. That's cool. I didn't know. That's a really great way of looking at it, what Gabby said. Yeah. Because I always think, you know, it's like, well, I'm just preaching to the choir and I want to get out there. And I, I mean, not convert people, but just open people's worlds up to different ideas and it's just like an interesting way to look at it why not like make you, your choir stronger yeah exactly and 
when you come from the level of, of consciousness with the intention of saying, okay, I'm going to write this blog post, I'm going to send out this Instagram or tweet or send out this newsletter. If you do it with an intention of there are people waiting for what I have to say mm -hmm. and there are people who are open to this, then the way you write it and the way you deliver it will be entirely different than if you go, okay, I need to convince people. Or they need this. Yeah, or they need yeah. this. Exactly. It's so much more attractive and persuasive when you say, isn't this interesting? I <laughs> thought yeah. you might like to know. Yeah, it's so true. Yeah. Did you study marketing? Yeah, that's that's yeah, what yeah. I, I studied in at Parsons School of Design. Oh, yeah. We talked about that. Here in New York. Yeah. So I studied brand strategy and marketing and... Then going into spirituality and, and talking about this, many people were like, what are you doing? You just wasted all that time in college. But I said, uh-uh, because <laughs> like, I use it. Yeah, you're going to use it. Yeah. You use it in what you do. Yeah. How did you get into it? Like, how did you find out about Marianne and Gabby? And Well, I, you know, I've been spiritual my entire life, even though my parents were atheists. I remember being a little boy in the in the crib and... And I was scared because I woke up from a nap and the room was empty. And I intuitively knew that my grandmother, who lived with me my entire life, was in the laundry room in the basement. And I, I just intuitively knew that and that it was just us in, in the house. And, and so I was freaking out as like a three-year-old, three I would say. And I knew I had to get to the basement to her. But wow. that... Uh, that odyssey of going from my crib in my room on the third floor all the way down to the basement, down those stairs was like, how am I going to do this? And I remember feeling this wave of fear. And then suddenly I felt, I didn't hear a voice. I feel like a lot of people are intimidated. Some, a lot of spiritual people sometimes can be intimidated when they hear other people say, I heard a voice. Mm -hmm. Cause then they go through the rest of their lives waiting to hear a booming voice. Mm -hmm. For me, it was, uh, I felt while I was in the crib, very scared, I felt this presence, this, this presence in me and around me that didn't say with words, but that sort of transmitted to my mind, don't worry, you'll be okay. Everything's okay. When you were in the crib? Yeah, mm -hmm. when I was scared about going Only down three. the stairs. And you remember it. And I do remember it. I remember it was a bright, sunny day. And, and I never forget that feeling of not being alone of having the presence of something mm -hmm. around me at all times, even and especially when I'm most afraid. Mm -hmm. And so I've, I remember that experience and I've never, that, that feeling of having a presence around me has never left me, despite my father sitting at the kitchen table and saying, anyone who has a spiritual beliefs is, is weak, scared, and, you know, intellectually feeble. Wow. Um, that never, that feeling, that feeling never went away. I um, mean, so I went, so I graduated college and started interviewing at all these marketing jobs. And all along, I, I knew what my real passion was. You know, I could never had a tough time doing homework in college, but I would read self-help books every night, mm -hmm. you know? And so it was always my passion. Oftentimes your passion's right there in front of you and yet you have excuses like for me for example how the how the hell are you gonna make money mm -hmm. from talking about spirituality because i live in new york city 
my parents aren't paying for you know yeah and i was scared about uh, about that how could i possibly do that what will people think of me when i start suddenly talking about spirituality for the first time because i was in the closet about that mm -hmm. about spirituality yeah <laughs> yeah i was in the closet about that because i believed on some level what my father said yeah that spirituality is for people who are intellectually feeble and so in Aww. 2009 when i picked up marianne williamson's book titled everyday grace i knew within the first few pages that that book would change my life and it was a portal for me into the world i inhabit now um i had never read someone who was so persuasive so intelligent so deeply spiritual and psychologically astute mm -hmm. yes, and eloquent she's... and fierce as Marianne. And so I read that book and she talks about a course in miracles in it. And so I said, well, if this intelligent, eloquent woman who is by no means intellectually feeble is into this course in miracles and I have to check it out. And so I did. And then, yeah, that really was now that I say it, it really was a portal. Mm -hmm. And you did it on your own? The course? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I picked up the course and, and the course says very clearly that it is a curriculum for some people mm -hmm. and that it's not meant for everybody. So there's a different form of the curriculum of life and love for everybody. For some people, it's Buddhism, Christianity, Judaism. For, for some people, it's new age mm -hmm. like the course um for other people it's not being in the religion but having an attachment to the to the um the for G to jesus or to buddha and for other people it's walking in the woods and having a deep connection to nature um and for other people it's just you know daily acts of of, of loving each other and that is their religion religion meaning from the latin term religar which means to bind to hmm. so what thought what what system of belief are you do you bind yourself to on a daily mm -hmm. basis and do you sort of adhere to um spiritually speaking so that can be nature or whatever but the course when i opened up the course i knew it was for me mm -hmm. and and to the and right and today uh it is still for me Tomorrow it might not be, uh, but I highly doubt that. But maybe who knows? <laughs> One day at a time. Wow. I was gonna ask you if you've ever worked with anyone with addiction um, that you've coached and helped, and they've like gone through the course. Well, I'm not an addiction counselor, and I really urge people with addictions to go to people who are addiction um, who who specialize in addiction. I will say that all of us have addictions mm -hmm. and the stigma, the first thing I, I, I want to say about addiction is that there's so much stigma about surrounding addiction and to call yourself um, someone who has had an addiction or has an active addiction. Um, it's, it, it's, to me, it's insane how people respond to it. And it's interesting also how we have less, less moral judgment um, against people who are addicted to coffee than we do to people who are alcoholics mm -hmm. or heroin addicts. 
It's all the same. We're sex addicts or relationship addicts. Do you know how many people are codependent, have codependent relationships that really end up um, destroying their lives? They don't exit marriages when they should. And they, they wake up at 50 or 60. I know people wake up mm-hmm. in their 60s and go, what have I done with my life? But yet we don't have moral judgments, mm-hmm. as severe moral judgments as we do against the, the alcoholic. It's all addiction. It's all um, fear. And any addiction, you know, Yogi Bhajan, father of Kundalini Yoga, or at least the, the dude who brought it here to, to the, the West, West. <laughs> is um, he, he said, and I thought this was so interesting. Um, any addiction is, is what you use to not confront reality. Mm-hmm. So yeah. when I think of sobriety, which is a really interesting concept to me, and it has been for a long time, um, there are different kinds of sobriety. There's sobriety from alcohol, which is what a lot of people think of. Then there's sobriety from pot and coke and smack and weed and whatever. Pot, that's Weed is definitely pot, Jordan. It's the same <laughs> thing. But then there's, you know, like what's interesting to me is financial sobriety. What is that? Well, how many of us are really confronting the reality oh, yeah. of our finances? Mm-hmm. Not very many. Whoa, right? Yeah. When was the when was the last time you checked your bank account mm-hmm. and the balance, and then said, "Okay, well, how much can I re- realistically spend if I want to reach this goal um, for the purpose of you know uh, having security, a feeling of security in my life, which is what money brings." Mm-hmm. Do you know Kate Northrup? Yes. Yeah, I love her book, Money, I Love Story. She's someone who's really talking about... Spirituality and money. Yeah, Yeah. financial sobriety. Mm -hmm. So when it comes to addiction, I I, I like to take a broad... I personally take a broad look at what are the areas in my own life where I'm not confronting reality. That can happen in relationships. It can happen with uh, psychoactive substances. Um where are you not confronting reality? There's, yeah, I, I think that's a great way of looking at it. And I, I've noticed that in areas of my life, people that I know, and just in general, like we all use some way to escape, right? It's escapism, sometimes not wanting to feel and just being aware. Um, but I wanted to talk to you because there is this like reoccurring, well, it's not reoccurring, but I've been thinking a lot about there's someone in my life that Mm -hmm. I know that has an addiction to alcohol and it's become very severe to the point where they've like over the last 10 years that I've known them, like they've moved out to the middle of nowhere, really secluded themselves from anyone in their family, family. And like they travel and see everyone, but really um, she's just all by herself and tried to be sober was sober for a year but right now in this moment going through probably one of the hardest times of her life completely lonely like banned from going to certain institutions because of the problem cops involved and like just a lot of things and um everyone in her life has given up on her And I'm not necessarily like emotionally attached to this person. So I feel like I have a very unbiased way of looking at it where I haven't gone through the ups and downs. I've just been someone who's seen it all go down. And 
but at this moment I was thinking, wow, like when someone is at their worst and they just really need the people that they love around them to lift them up, like those people are over it and they don't, they've given up. I don't know. I just think it's a really interesting concept because I also think boundaries are super important and letting someone giving someone the dignity of their own journey is also important. Like letting her, you know, it's her life. Sure. So I just am curious what your thoughts on that. Well, you know, someone in an active addiction that is really uh, hurting their relationships, for example, people don't uh, enjoy being around you because you have, because you're not connecting, you know, uh, an addiction keeps you from intimacy. And that's how you, you can sense that's how you can learn to sense the, the voice of the saboteur within you. You know, we hear a lot in the, in the wellness community or spiritual community about self-saboteur. Oh, I'm self-sabotaging. How do you know if it's self-sabotage or a couple drinks at home, mm-hmm. right? How do you know? Well, the voice of the saboteur in you wants to get you alienated, isolated, and alone. Mm. It doesn't want you to enter into greater intimacy with other people. So the Course says heaven is entered two by two, or the you know, and and that's also in the Bible. Entered two by two, heaven, which is a state of, of, of love and joy and peace on earth. It's entered two by two. What does that mean? It, it's entered in relationships with mm-hmm. other people. So uh, this isn't an age where we're called to go sit on a mountaintop and eat brown rice and drink green tea and isolate ourselves. Um, and in fact, a lot of uh, th- 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 uh, that can happen. Not that that's not right for some people, but I I would um, venture to say for most human beings alive today, we need community now more than ever. And so, and and that's because in the age of Aquarius, all it's a paradox. Mm -hmm. We're more connected than ever, but we're more disconnected than ever. So we're called to actually be in relationship with people one-on-one more live stuff where we're talking like this, Mm -hmm. you know, and where we're going to meetings and going to yoga classes and being with other like-minded people. And addiction will do that. It's a voice of the ego. And addiction will get you alienated, isolated, and alone. So which of your addictive tendencies are getting you wow. alienated and isolated and alone? Um, or, yeah, sure, you go out with your drinking buddies, but do you really have an intimate relationship with them mm-hmm. when you're sober and you're not doing coke or heroin or any drug whatever your drug is do you really have an intimate relationship with them yeah or is that just the basis of your relationship yeah Mm -hmm. and then for people who are you know in an active addiction sometimes their their bottom their breaking point the point at which they say okay there must be a better way Mm -hmm. is when the their loved ones who they know care for them say i can no longer be around you. If you want to find a better way, I will help you. But until then, I can't be around you. And that's a choice that each of us have to make. And I don't think um, in many cases, it's not unspiritual or unloving to say you're drunk 
you can't come in to my apartment right now. Or I'm not coming home for the holidays if you're going to be smoking pot the whole time. Mm-hmm. Or whatever it is, you know? And it's, and like you said, I think that's so important. It, it's, everyone has, is on their own path and their own journey. And to give someone a bit of space to really be on their own journey mm-hmm. um, and not react so emotionally to to their behavior and take their behavior personally mm-hmm. um, is obviously very important. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, about alcohol, we're, we, this is an age where, uh, where I think millennials are becoming aware. I just read an article yesterday that said millennials are drinking more wine than ever before. Then again, it was a sponsored <laughs> ad. So I was By like, yeah, wink. Is... no, I'm kidding. So no. I was like, mm. because I read another study that said more millennials than ever are experimenting with sobriety. Hmm. And I think this really is an age where if you, you, we, there is such a need to numb out. Look, I mean, I mean, even with social media, you numb out like that's its own addiction. So. Yes, and just social media is in and of itself often anxiety-inducing. Mm-hmm. So you have anxiety at every corner, and you have nuclear war. We're on the br- you yeah. know Some people, like the uh, former defense secretary, uh, I was just reading yesterday, said we are on the brink of nuclear war, and it's likely to, he believes it's likely to happen in the next 10 years. Don't tell me that. Well, I want to <laughs> tell you that. You know, I want to tell everybody that. Yeah. And I and I people should be scared mm-hmm. and they should be fearful because the universe, God is calling us to wake up, and you can't wake up if you're constantly numbing out. Um, and so alcohol is really tricky because the, everyone kind of when we grew up when I grew up in the '90s, it was like pot was like don't do drugs. That was like. The, that was the extent of it. Right. Yeah. And it was like that it was like the dare campaign. Yeah, the dare campaign. And like so pot bad. was one of the things that you shouldn't do. Now it's becoming more popular. Now and like, it's like legal and it's like you told us. And what? it's like not cool yeah. to oppose pot. Right? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, but the, there's a similar the, the, the narrative around alcohol. If I, w- I was just watching uh, movies from the 30s and the 40s, you know, like all about Eve and you have Betty Davis like drinking her martini and smoking a cigarette. And you just look at that and you're like, Oh, that's so chic. Yeah. You're like, I need a martini <laughs> and a cigarette, you know? Uh, it's, but it's, there's this narrative around alcohol that makes it so appealing. And that's part of the unlearning. I think we have to do as a culture. Um, and it's, I mean, it's been, it's been interesting for me to do that for myself too, mm-hmm. to really start to question what, you know, I've been living in New York and partying here and having fun here for 12 years and it's the best city in the world <laughs> and nightlife is amazing and it's so fun, but so much is about alcohol Yeah, and it makes you stop and go, hmm, hmm, does this actually make me feel more relaxed? Considering the rebound effects, does it actually open me up? And does it actually forge intimacy with other people? Mm-hmm. So let's all look, you know, at our, at our substances and the, and, and more importantly than shaming ourselves. If someone listening or watching is like, Oh no, I drink too much. <laughs> yeah. I drink too much. Then 
I think a good place to start is to start thinking of, um, start reframing sobriety and what that means to you. I think it's pretty fucking cool. Excuse my language. Mm -hmm. I'm trying also not to swear lately. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah. Someone said, it's really unattractive when you swear. Oh, I love it. No. <laughs> I'm trying. See, every day. It's like one day at a time. But, um, but start thinking about sobriety. I think it's pretty cool to see people who are, for, for example, financially sober. Mm -hmm. Isn't that cool to see someone who's so clear about what they have, what they don't have, have a budget for this, plan for this. That's really cool. Yeah, I cool. think that's cool. And at I, first I was like, what does that mean? You just like live off of trading? Like, you know what I mean? Just no money at all. But Right. The, no, it means clarity. Yeah, clarity. I and, love and that. And joy. It means like, yeah, they can go on vacations. The people who do that, the people who are free of um, confusion when it comes to relationships because they've really gotten to the bottom of it, can really date and have deeper relationships and better sex. Mm -hmm. I think that's cool. I think that's cool. Yeah, I think that's kind of what we try and do with the magazine, too. It's like the whole wellness is in every aspect of your life, in your relationships, in your finances, in and learning more about politics and the news and just being, but not to the point of anxiety. And, you know, I mean, it's going to give you anxiety at some what with wellness. Well, no, Paul, I was just saying the whole oh, poli politics. political yeah. situation we're in right now, but I'm just saying every aspect of our life, we can bring wellness into it because really wellness is intention, having intention behind everything. Absolutely. And that is clarity. Yeah, clarity is, mm -hmm. I think the idea of clarity and vibrancy mm -hmm. is, yeah. When you know what you yeah. want, clarity, vibrancy, you do less of that which takes those things away. Mm -hmm. Yeah, which takes us to your bedtime mantras. Bedtime mantras. Yeah, yeah. Bedtime why mantras did you, what? got you into doing a bedtime mantras i didn't even know you were doing that and bedtime no so bedtime mantras are for people who don't um know what my bedtime mantras are i created a digital um album of guided prayers that are set to delta brainwave entrainment music which is this great sort of um voice voiceless music that's very calming that changes your brainwaves to more relaxed calming uh, brainwaves to help you fall asleep and so when I was going through a terrible breakup um, my own real dark night of the soul um, and lots of confusion for uh, every night I would go to bed and say a prayer to myself and then turn on that delta brainwave music <laughs> And saying a surrendered prayer to myself every night changed my spiritual practice completely. And it made me feel like I could let go of the waking world. And it helped me feel an, an ocean of love carrying me and buoying me um, in that dark time and every day. And so I, I, um, I spoke to a psychic, one of my psychics, who I really love, and she's so great, and she... She said, so your spirit guides are telling me that you have an amazing product, a potential product that, that, you ha that you don't realize exists. And it has to do with like going to bed 
And I said, I don't have any idea what you're talking what? about. And I'd written down these prayers, one for every day of the week. Um, and she said, yes. And it's, it's, it's like a, like a, an affirmation that you're, that you are saying. And I'm like, oh yeah, no, I have written prayers. She goes, that's it. Your guides are telling you create a product. And so I said, okay. So I, I, I read those prayers aloud and set them to brainwave music so that anyone going through a tough time, not just a breakup, um, or anyone who just wants to um, deepen their spiritual practice and surrender to God, to the universe at night, and feel really held mm -hmm. by that presence, um, can listen in. I think that's nice. and. It's great. I, I love it. Yeah, I, mean, I really like, need to start I'm, listening. <laughs> I'm so, uh, and it's, I think it's also so cool that when you surrender to, when you realize, like, for example, when I said I was in college and I said to myself, graduating with a degree in marketing, how am I going to make mm -hmm. money from spirituality, right? It was right in front of me. Um, and in this case, um, I made a lot of, I've made a lot of money from this bedtime mantra thing. <laughs> and it was right in front of me. It was, guess what? It was just something that had helped me. All I had to do was take something that had truly helped me and share it with other people. Mm -hmm. And it's I can pay my, my cell phone bill and I can pay <laughs> my bills from helping people. Yeah. So I think we can all ask ourselves, what do I have or what do I know that, that has been truly, deeply helpful for me? And then share it with other people. Mm-hmm. Is it like, I think, is it Monday or Sunday through, is it a whole yeah, week's it's, worth? It's seven or? days. So I have a different prayer, a different bedtime mantra for each, each day, day of the week. And I set it to the planet of the day. So Monday's the moon oh. um, and, and Sunday's the sun. And so each of those planets has energy. And I, and those prayers I originally wrote using that planetary energy. Mm -hmm. So the moon is about your emotional um wellness and the sun is about your ability to you know have courage and yeah are you gonna do like different versions no although i've started to really enjoy i mean i still i use my own bedtime mantras mm -hmm. um and in fact my, my my spiritual teacher told me um that if we listen to our own voice saying something it helps a deep shift happen. Mm -hmm. So he told me this just a couple months ago and I was like, that's crazy. <laughs> I have thought it was weird that I listened to my own voice. But if we record our voice saying affirmations mm -hmm. or prayers or whatever, and then listen to them back, it's, it's, it's very powerful. Yeah. I, I did like hypnotherapy one time. And or a couple sessions, and they would and they record had you play it. the tape yeah. back to yourself. Yes, I never did it, but I, I should have. Yeah, they they make you do yeah. that. The hypnotherapists. Yeah. yeah, she recorded it so that I would. Yeah. It's like somewhere in my drawer. Yeah, yeah. Well, thanks for coming and hanging out and chatting. Chatting. I love it's hanging so... out with you. I know it's good to just talk about this stuff. Yeah, you know, with people who get it, and that's like. That's what I was talking about. Mm -hmm. We need more like real connection instead of like the blogs or we should be reading other people's blogs. We should be just listening to podcasts. But I urge people who are listening to this and watching this continue, but go out and talk 
with your friends, Mm -hmm. you know, and if you don't have friends who are supportive of you, go find them. Yeah. I think that that's the whole idea of this podcast too. It's just ask questions and be open to whatever answers and everyone else's journey. But I think just asking questions, we all forget. Just having the deeper conversations. Yeah. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Saying, what do you believe? Mm-hmm. Um, so that we can connect, mm-hmm. connect um, with each other, which is so important now, because if we don't connect with each other in the coming months and in the coming years, uh, we know what will happen. We know what the default future will be if, if we don't connect with each other and empathize on a deep level. We're seeing it happen already with the rise of dangerous um, populist movements around the world. Mm-hmm. And it's very, very scary. And the threat of of nuclear weapons and racism and homophobia. There are gays in Chechnya right now being yeah. in basically concentration camps. Um, and so this stuff is happening. Let's get out of our, let's, you know, we have these conversations not to numb out, mm-hmm. but to really talk about what matters so that then when we see something, we can do something mm-hmm. about it from a place of conviction. Because as the Course in Miracles says, conviction is the mother of miracles. That's beautiful. Yeah. Thanks. Thank you. High five.